Welcome. I haven't um, been outside today since about 6.30-ish. What's the weather like? Beautiful. Of course it is. Which is why it might be hard to get here. It's so nice out. Well, let's pray before we begin. Father God, we come to you and we are thankful for the opportunity that we have to dig into your word and um, just wrestle with it in community. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill this space. I pray that you would be honored and glorified in the teaching. I pray that you would also be working in our hearts and minds, just allowing us to discern what it is that you have for us through this text and through the experiences of Peter and Cornelius. Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified this evening, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, so if you are in a blue Bible, um, we'll start on page 918. Um, we're in Acts. Um, Acts 9 is where we're going to start, verse 33, I mean 2, and then we'll go all the way through chapter 10. So in the Blue Bibles, page 918, starting chapter 9, verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Leda. There he found a man named, I don't know why I can't look at that, Aeneas, I want to say the other name, Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lita was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, and she raised up. Then, calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout, man, a, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to people, to the people, and prayed continuously to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. 
When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on, a, on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and saw like a great sheet descending, be, being let down by its corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by, by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason you are coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken, who is well spoken of by the whole by the whole Jewish nation, has was directed by a holy angel to send you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose, went away with them, and some of the brothers of Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked to him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask, then why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been re remembered by before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner. He is lodging in a oh, he's lodging in a house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, "Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality." But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. 
You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we, who are, who are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. When Peter declare, then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then, he, and then they asked him to remain for some days. There's a lot of Peters in there, wasn't there? <laughs> and Simons, and we talked about this. Why, are there so, why do so many people have second names? And why, why does there have to be two Simons in this one? All right, so many things going on here. And one of, there were several um, different people that mentioned in the commentaries that they were reading that the commentators said this is pr probably some of the most significant text of all um, because it does some really significant things. And so we've started out, we've been talking about how um, Jesus' mission and the gospel is to be spread. And this is a significant and pivotal point in that whole um, mission that Jesus sent people on. So we start out first with some healings that Peter did. We're back to Peter, and he heals Aeneas and um, Dorcas. And what is interesting about this is, yes, there are some similarities and, that, and um, the healing that Jesus did of the paralyzed man, and then also raising people from the dead. The other thing that is interesting, um, as Eric has mentioned throughout Luke and um, Acts is that Luke has this pattern that he uses where he will give an example of a man and then he'll give an example of a woman. And so, again, this, I, we're starting to see this idea of who God is using um, being reinforced. The other significant thing about these two particular healings is that um, they led to people turning to the Lord. So for Anna, I wanted to say Ananias. Aeneas, thank you, for Aeneas, he had nobody around him. Nobody brought him to Jesus to heal him. He didn't even ask Jesus to heal him. He seems to be a pretty insignificant person, relatively speaking, and Jesus heals him anyway, and then because of that healing, all of these people from Leda and Sharon saw it and turned to the Lord. So here's somebody who seems who's seemingly insignificant being used by God to turn people to the Lord. And then we have Dorcas. 
Here's a woman, she's a disciple, okay? And she has a significant impact on people. She's helping people. She's sewing clothes and giving people clothes. And so when she dies, there's all these people grieving, and they are the ones who went to go get Peter to raise her from the dead, and he did. And so here's a miracle. Again, the word gets out, and then again, all these people throughout Joppa, many believers, and many more were added. So the contrast is, here's an, you know, a quiet, maybe unknown person, and then here's Dorcas, and God is using both of them and bringing people to the Lord. So then we go, we move on from the miracles, and now we um, have this narrative that is, is fascinating to me, and I've read through this so many times because I just love to hear it. I mean, I like to hear it read to me. So I've listened to it many times. So first, Cornelius. Cornelius, we are told, is a centurion, which means that he is a military officer type, and he is um, not just any. So a centurion would be responsible for like 100 soldiers um, in the Roman army. But when they say that this is the Italian cohort, it's more significant because there would have been six centurion units. So he's responsible for 600 people. And so he's got a pretty significant role, um, and he clearly is... um, he has an allegiance to the Roman emperor. That's who he's working for, okay? He's a Gentile. He has power. He's probably pretty well-to-do. We're told that he is um, generous and helpful, and he is God-fearing. But he is not a Jew. He's what they would call a God-fearer. So ethnically, he's not Jewish. He's not circumcised, um, but he is, uh, he fears God and he is partaking in all of the Jewish rituals. Okay, so he's a God fearer and he is doing what um, he should be doing and participating in those Jewish traditions and laws. And so Cornelius is this upstanding guy and he is praying and he has this vision. So this vision is going to a Gentile, and God calls him to do something, and he does it. He's freaked out at first, but he's like, okay, I know this voice. And so he sends the people to go find Peter. The interesting thing about this is um, this centurion, the more I thought about it, you know, he's this upstanding guy. He's a God-fearer. He is good to people, he's generous, he's doing good things, um, but it's not what God is wanting. And so I thought about myself, (laughs) and um, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and when I was 25, I started dating Steve, and Steve went to a Baptist church. And on a date, I am not kidding you, this is what Steve asked me. It wasn't the first date, okay? Sorry, honey, everybody's looking at you. They're going to be like, what on earth? 
So on a date, he said to me, when you die, do you think you'll go to heaven? (laughs) I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I believe there's a God. I believe in God. I am a pretty good person. I don't do bad things. I'm really, I try to be as helpful as I can be. And he's like, yeah, that's not exactly how that works. (laughs) Bold. But here we are 25 years later. And so, like, literally in that conversation, Steve led me to Christ because he explained to me, you need Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. It's not about being a good person and doing things right. Yes? (laughs) Right? I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, and the other side of it is, um, Steve has said this and shared this before. His grandma warned him. His grandma said to him, don't be careful. Make sure who you marry you'll spend eternity with. So he was just following his grandma's directions. (laughs) Uh, It was funny. Anyway, um, good story. Good story. So anyway, this this is this guy. He's this upstanding citizen. Like, like I thought I was the, a good person. I certainly was on my way to heaven because I wasn't a bad person. And then Steve has the audacity to tell me, yeah, that's not how that works. So kind of thinking about Cornelius in that way. And then the other thing about Cornelius that is interesting, um, because Cornelius is, is, as we will see, being used by God for significant things. Just last week, we ta- was it last week we talked about the old... Ethiopian eunuch, yep. So here's this guy who is really, like Eric said, maybe not even considered a fully a man, and he's being used by God. And then by contrast, we have this centurion. And I don't know what the picture in my, well, I do know what the picture in my head is. Kind of like a a superhero-ish, like gladiator-ish kind of guy. That's what I envision in my head. So we have this Ethiopian eunuch, and then we have this centurion, and God is using both of these men as well. And so this idea of who we think God is using um, is really starting to be tipped. So then Peter, okay, we're moving on because these two are going to be interrelated. Peter has this vision while he's praying And he has this vision of a sheet coming down from the sky, and on it are all of these four-legged animals. And God tells him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. My husband says, that sounds like a command to hunt. For Peter, it was mortifying because he's Jewish. His whole life, he has been raised understanding what is clean what is ritually clean and not clean, and what he can't eat and what he can eat. And this is a big deal. It's part of the, the law that they have been given that sets them apart from other, people, from other peoples and other nations. And the other interesting thing about this is God, has said, God said to him, what God has made clean do not call common. And so there's this twist. So Peter hears this. Imagine, this goes against everything that he knows. He sees this vision three times, by the way, which we talked about. What's with Peter and everything has to be three times? 
You know, we talked with we talked about Peter kind of being that that the the one that doubted all the time and needed constant re- reassurance. Um, maybe God just knows, like it's Peter, he needs three. Like how many times do we have to butt up against something before we're like, oh, okay, I see you're trying to get my attention. So this vision that he has goes against everything that he knows, and yet he's perplexed by it, but he continues on. So verse 17, now while Peter is inwardly perplexed, as to what this vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius were looking for him. And at that time, God said to Peter, these men are looking for you. Go down there and go with them and don't hesitate. Just do it. So here's this guy. He's obedient to do what the Lord has told him, and he's been given this vision that he's trying to figure out, and he's very perplexed by it. And then in verse 19, it continues, and while Peter was pondering still, okay, it's not like it was just this like automatic, okay, I got it, I'm going. He's being obedient, but he's still not sure. The other interesting thing about this, um, this passage and these, this vision that Peter had is that it's starting to put into question some of the people he's been interacting with. Like the fact that it says that Pete, one, Simon, a tan, one Simon a tanner, three times it said that he was a tanner, well, a tanner would be un, an unclean person because they deal with dead animals, the carcass. And so Peter really shouldn't be hanging out with him in his house. And so Peter, again, being obedient, he goes and he asks, why have you, thought, why have you, sent, for, or why have you sent for me? And they tell him the story. The centurion had this vision and he sent us and that's why... He, I'm here. And so he's like, okay. And he invites them into their house until the next day when they're ready to go. And so he goes with them. He enters Cornelius's home. Cornelius gets all of his family and his his people um, to come and listen. And they're waiting. And again, Cornelius is being obedient as well. Neither one of these men have the full picture. They have pieces of it. But they don't know the end game yet. But they're being obedient to what it is that God is calling them to. And it will be revealed as we see. And so I am really struck by the obedience of Peter and Cornelius to do something like this that is so different, like the opposite. Well, Peter the opposite of what he knows. And so Eric and I were talking about this yesterday, having this discussion about, can you imagine how that, like what was going on in his mind? And then he had to tell people he had this vision and it didn't make any sense. And Eric says, like, have you ever had something like that where you've believed something your whole life and then God showed you something different? 
And I was like, um, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And he's like, yeah, right. And so the thing is, is that when I married my husband and I started um, attending church with him and his family, what I learned was that women were not allowed or should not be leading men. But I was on this trajectory coming out of the classroom and identified as a leader and then, you know, getting education to become a leader in public schools. And so I have, I found myself in this position, several positions where I'm responsible for school buildings, the staff and the students. And I'm, I'm supervising men. And so I lived with this dissonance for so long. Like, I have, like, I feel called as a leader. And I was a leader. But I was told that I shouldn't be leading like that. And so I just decided to be obedient to what I felt called to, not obedient to what people were telling me that I should or shouldn't do. And so then I'm called to Timberwood and to children's ministry, and I'm like, great, great. I don't ever have to worry about being a leader, a female leader in a male-dominated field anymore. I'm safe. Whew. There's a ceiling here <laughs> that I'm not going to get out of. And then four years ago, I, I said to John, I feel like I want to get some further education. At that point, it was not a master's degree in theology and ministry. It was something much smaller. And it turned into this master's degree and then this transition and this shifting and then the opportunity to teach and preach. Like, my heart's racing right now. <laughs> telling you this because this goes against everything that I was taught, right? And so I had to do a lot of work. I had to be quiet about it. I had to look through, and I had to study, and I had to read more about women that God had used throughout history because I didn't have a lot of exposure to women that had been used by God. And then talking with other people and have allowing other people to affirm for me this call to lead in this capacity, it's, it's been hard. I have family members who don't even know what to do with me. Some of them are certain that I'm wrong and sinning, and it, it's not good for me. To which I, I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to advance the gospel and build the kingdom of God, and I feel like I've been called to. And so it's been hard, right? So I, I can honestly relate with Peter. Like, he's been told to do something and then lead the way with something that an entire nation has been told for generations. This is the way it is. And then God says, mm, but these categories, these labels, these um, distinctions cannot be significant anymore. 
And so I appreciate that about Peter. And so then, as we go, you know, he went down and he's with Cornelius's people. Cornelius, he enters, Cornelius sees him and like falls to his knees and he's going to worship Peter. And Peter's like, no, no, get up. I'm a man. Like, you don't worship me. I'm empowered through God. And that's who we're going to talk about. And so again, he says in verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or uncommon. That sheet vision that he had was not necessarily about what foods Jews can and cannot eat. It was about people. And this distinction or this designation of unclean and clean, and that's wiped away. I, he says, I'm now seeing it. I can't call a person clean or unclean. And so he carries on and asks Cornelius, why did you send me? So now the pieces of the puzzle are beginning to be linked. The interesting thing um, that came up is the obedience of both men. I mean, really, how many of you would just, the very first time you had like this message or this vision come to you, just get up and go? I wouldn't. I, honestly, I probably wouldn't because I wouldn't have enough information. <laughs> I don't know the end game. And I feel blind going into it. And I don't want to be unprepared. And so I want all the answers before I'm going to say yes. But these two were obedient. And, it's, and this, whole, this whole experience started with them in prayer. And they positioned themselves to receive a message from God. And then they were obedient together. So now the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. And I think what it required of both of them is this posture of humility. Like, okay, I might not know, or I might think I know, but I guess I'm open to maybe I, maybe I don't know. But together they were obedient and something really great happened. And I have to share this story about last week's faith story. Um, it was Patty Erickson, and I talked to her so she knows I'm talking about her. Hey, Patty. Um, so when I, I, like, I would say probably the last two months, um, each of us on staff is responsible for finding um, and inviting, inviting people to do their faith story. And so I have a, you know, kind of this running list, and um, Patty's on my list. And um, like three weeks ago, I said to Patty, I, I really feel like uh, we need the voice of somebody who, is, who has lost somebody and is grieving 
and is moving forward um, to share their faith story because we have so many people in our body experiencing this right now. Would you be willing to share your faith story on February 18th? And she texts me back, and she's like, um, talking to people, that many people, freaks me out, so I'm going to have to say no. <laughs> to which I responded, well, what if I told you that you weren't talking to a lot of people, you were reading to them? <laughs> it's semantics, but it worked. Because she's like, we should talk. And I'm like, all right, how about on Sunday? And she's like, okay. So she comes in my office. I am like, Patty, your, your name, I felt it, and I just reached out. And she's like, Amy, six months ago, somebody was giving their faith story, and I thought to myself, I, what would I say if somebody asked me to do their faith story? And um, she opens up her purse, and she pulls out her faith story that she wrote six months ago. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And so I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, you're going to say no? And she's like, no, I'm not saying no. I'm saying yes. And so here, I'm like, Patty, do you see what is happening? I was obedient to what God was nudging me to do by reaching out to you. You were obedient six months ago, and you just pulled your face story out of your purse, and you're doing your face story <laughs> on February 18th. Cool, right? So, uh, like, all of these pieces fit together, and God will use us. Look at Dorcas, and, like, all of these people that we don't think, maybe, or we don't understand how God is using them. And what if we don't act? What if we don't have a conversation? What if we don't invite somebody into what we think that we're hearing or experiencing or learning differently. Yeah, I'm, I love this passage. Eric's like, this is a pretty important piece of scripture you get to teach on. And I'm like, I know. And I'm like, thanks. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, not sorry, actually. Okay, so... Then the other piece of this, where we continue on. They're both being obedient. Peter shows up at Cornelius's, or Cornelius's, Cornelius's house, and understands why he's there. Okay, so they are there to listen, and on the very last um, part of verse thirty-three. We are, we are all here in the presence of God to hear that you to all, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. They trusted that Peter was sent by the Lord and was going to be speaking, empowered by the Lord on behalf. And that's exactly what happened. So then we move on. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
I think what's significant in that, there's so many things significant with those two verses, but in 34, the very first thing, so Peter opened his mouth. It just said he opened his mouth. What did we see happen a few chapters back with Stephen? And that beautiful sermon that he was giving when he, to the Sanhedrin, an explanation. <laughs> You're right, he was executed. His boldness, and we went back and also remembered that, that's right, Jesus said that he would give the words that their enemies could not refute, right? So here's another example. Peter opened his mouth. His sermon, his gospel story is so elegant and so precise. It's beautiful. It's like right to the point, hits all the high notes. But before he even says that, because he's sharing the gospel with people that technically he shouldn't be. So he clearly is now recognizing that whole vision with the sheet and the animals are pertaining to the people. Because if he had not had that vision and started to kind of wrestle with it and unfold it, he may not have been willing to go and share the gospel with those Gentiles. Yes? Right. 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 When, no, when Jesus, right, when Jesus left, he said go. He didn't say just go to the Jews, and that's what we see happening here, right? So we see, like Eric has been talking about, this kind of like this, like this big kind of spread of the gospel throughout the land. They're, mo they're moving out of Jerusalem, and they're moving further out. So now, like if you think about this tier kind of system, if the middle is, you know, the Jews, and then you've got the Samaritans, and then you keep going out, and now these Gentiles, now, the, now who God is calling, who, who is God um, wanting to hear the gospel message and respond to it, is bigger, it's broader, which is exactly what Jesus told the disciples to do. Go. Go. But you have to remember that they still had, they were, Peter was still Jewish, right? He was still ethnically Jewish, and he still had these things. Like, you know, like I said, how many, how many of us have beliefs that we carry with us. Um, well, here's an example. I'm just going to put this out there, and it might make people uncomfortable. There are probably, well, I can guarantee, I bet, there are people sitting in this room who really struggle with me teaching and preaching, but they're still here, right? And so kind of the same thing with Peter. He had this belief, you know, these Jewish rituals and he was still being obedient but 
there's those underpinnings, right? So, so many opportunities in this for people to have their hearts softened and changed and really impacted and saved. And so Peter, he goes through and he has this beautiful gospel message and he, at the end, before he's even done speaking, in verse 44, it says, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, which would have been the Jews that were with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Because that was not in alignment with what they had believed and understood. So these lines are being blurred. And then to blur lines even more, Peter declares, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, which came first, the baptism or the Spirit? This time. The Spirit, then the baptism. But that's not what we've seen. So then it's like, well, which is it? Again, the lines are blurred. We, th- we think we know we want such sec- you know, security and standards and easy lanes to stay in. Just tell me what the lane is and I'll stay in it. Or just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. Because that gives a sense of security. But I think the lines are much blurrier um, than we actually would like them to be. And so now the Holy Spirit has come upon Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles, and it's spreading, just like Jesus had said, go, and they did, and it's spreading. And so think about the hearts that had to change or the humility that these people had to have in order to receive what God was doing in them or through other people. I think about also, like, do we trust people? Do we trust people to be doing their best to be obedient to God and what God is calling them to their to them in their life. Like, do we believe that about people? I think that's part of the, the question. Like, clearly Cornelius believed that Peter, he had a vision. Peter is sent by God. And then vice versa. Peter clearly had to understand and trust that, yep, okay, God actually did tell Cornelius to send for me, and he, yep, he did tell me to come here. And so do we trust the people in our lives, in our circles, that they are doing the best that they can to understand and follow what God is calling them to? I think that's a, that's a big piece of this, especially when things are getting blurred and they're not always straightforward. So think of the hearts that have been changed in order for God's message to be received and in order for people to be obedient. And what would it take to be that obedient? I can tell you from my own experience, 
what it has taken to be that obedient is the fear of not. So when I first um, was called into ministry, I met with um, a colleague that was a principal and um, then a superintendent in a nearby district who was a follower of Christ. He was a, a man of faith, and I loved and respected him. And I went to him, and I said, okay, this is happening. Like, this, my job as a consultant ha is, is going away. And so now I have the option of I could go in and I could be a superintendent. I could go in and I could be a building principal again. I could go in or move forward and be a consultant independently. Um, but John just has been calling me and having this conversation with me, and I kind of feel like it's me. And my friend was like, Amy, if you think that God is calling you into ministry and you choose not to, then what? And I was like, rude. <laughs> Come on, Chuck, you're killing me. And so, right, so honestly, like, I am more afraid of being disobedient to what God is calling me to um, than to stand in front of people who don't think that I should be up here, if I'm being quite honest. And so think of the lives that are forever changed by Peter and Cornelius because they were obedient. They maybe took risks. They maybe did things that weren't kosher. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. So in your discussion groups, lots of great conversations. Um, and then I want to just draw your attention to the spiritual discipline. Um, if you're not participating in the, um, with the Lent um, spiritual disciplines booklet, here's an opportunity to try something um, called physical prayer. Um, and it's an opportunity to just kind of invite God to speak to you and give you something um, similar to what we saw with Cornelius and Peter in their prayer time. So have fun in your discussion groups. See you later.